Good evening and welcome. Tonight is Thursday night, September 2nd, 2021. Tonight, I hope to provide, hopefully, some pre-Rosh Hashanah inspiration. And I'm grateful to every one of you for joining. This is an opportunity for us to be able to study together, hopefully to be inspired by each other, and to prepare ourselves for the upcoming High Holidays. I am terrified by the Akedah, the narrative in the Torah that we read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the binding of Isaac, Akedas Yitzchak. That narrative is somehow central to the shofar that we blow on Rosh Hashanah and to Rosh Hashanah itself, but how it is central is not so clear. All I know is that it terrifies me. I have nightmares about it. And because it terrifies me, I usually avoid speaking about it. I am setting aside that avoidance tonight to share with you an insight of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs that is, I think, exactly, precisely what we need to focus on at this moment. Explicitly, this narrative is a test for Avraham. The Torah says, Vohelokim Nisa es Avraham. God tested Avraham. Clearly, it involved his son Yitzchak, Isaac. And clearly, somehow, it tested Avraham's faith in God. Now, the traditional interpretation of this narrative is that the point of the story is to show that God loved I'm sorry, that Avraham loved God more than he loved his own son and was willing to sacrifice his own son because God commanded it of him. The problem with that understanding, which is quite classic and in many of the commentators, the problem is that the Torah repeatedly shows us that sacrificing a child, which was common in the ancient world, is one of the worst possible sins that a person could commit. We learn in the book of Kings, say from Malachim, for example, about a Moabite king named Mesha who sacrificed his child and the prophet rails against this terrible, terrible sin. So what's the point? of a test of Avraham's willingness to sacrifice his son when, according to the value system of the Torah, that just means that he's no better than a pagan king. And besides that, his name, the original name Avram, Avram means mighty father. And God specifically says in explaining why God chose Avraham to be the first initiate 
to this new people, this new religion. The Torah says, God speaks and says, Avram will be the one who begins a great and mighty nation. And all of the nations of the world will be blessed through him. Why? Why am I choosing Avraham? Because I know him. I know the way that he will father his children. God chooses Avraham because Avraham is the ideal role model of being a father, of being a parent. But here's the thing. A model father does not sacrifice his child. Now, let's take a step back from this specific narrative, and let's look at Avraham, his life in general, and the narratives that the Torah tells us about his entire life. One of the most difficult, perplexing questions about the entire story concerning Avraham is the disconnect between God's promises and the reality of what God does and does not fulfill. Because seven times in the Torah, God promises Avraham the land of Israel. Seven times. And yet, near the end of his life, or advanced in life by the time his wife Sarah dies, he doesn't even own a burial plot. He's got to barter with Ephron just to be able to bury his wife. At the very beginning, when we meet Avram for the first time, God says to Avram, Lech lecha me'atzaga, leave your home, leave your father's house. And God promised him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. So Avram does not hesitate. He doesn't argue. He leaves. He follows God's command. He arrives in Israel, what was then called Canaan. And as soon as he gets there, we read there's a famine there. So he's got to leave Israel and go to Egypt where there is food. And when he gets to Egypt, his life is in danger because of his wife, Sarah, and he has to ask his wife, Sarah, to lie and say she's not his wife, she's his sister, puts her into a morally questionable place. His life is in danger. I ask you, God just promised that I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Where's God's blessing? We start to see a pattern, and this pattern will repeat itself and grow as Avraham's life goes on. And that is, Avraham is learning that there is a long and winding road between promise and fulfillment. Now, it's not because God does not keep his word. 
it's because Avram and his descendants are to bring something new into the world, a sacred society. A relationship between a people and God that is more intimate than had ever been known. And God is teaching Avram a very crucial lesson. What I'm asking of you, God says to Avram, and there through Avram to the entire Jewish people, it demands extraordinary strength of character. Because here's the truth. Nothing great and transformative happens overnight. You have to keep going, even if you're tired and lost and exhausted and despondent, you have to keep going if you want to achieve greatness. And that's what God wants of Avram and of us. God will bring about everything he promised, but not immediately and not directly because God seeks those who have a tenacity of faith to keep going despite all the setbacks. And that is what the life of Avram is about. To be able to keep going in spite of the setbacks. And the clearest area in which we see this is in relation to God's promise to Avraham that he would have children. Four times in the Torah, God speaks to Avram promising him children. And the four promises are four ascending promises. They get greater and greater. First, he promises Avraham, you will become a great nation. Of course, that requires to starting with children. Then he says to Avraham, your children will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And then he says to Avraham, your children will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And finally, he says to Avraham, you will have descended from you not one nation, but many nations. Now, Avraham heard these promises. And he had faith in them. He believed them. The Torah tells us, He believed what God said when he promised him children. And God considered it as a righteousness on Avraham's part that he believed that he had faith in God's promise. But then God gives Avraham some very painful news. Yishmael, Avraham's firstborn son, born to Hagar, will not be his spiritual heir. Vezbrisi akim es Yitzchak. My covenant will be established not with Yishmael. Yishmael is going to go away. It's going to be with Yitzchak. Asher teile l'chasara l'amoed hazos b'ashano acheres. Yitzchak, who is not yet even born, who is going to be born to you and Sarah next year, that is where the covenant will be established. And it's against this backdrop of four promises of countless children and another promise by God that, that Avraham's spiritual heir would be this as yet unborn son Yitzchak, Isaac, 
that we see the frightening opening words of this test. God says to Avraham, Take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac, Yitzchak, and offer him up as a sacrifice. The test is not to see whether Avram had the courage to sacrifice his own son. Even the pagan kings had that courage. Could anyone seriously doubt that Avram had the courage to do whatever God asked? Does anyone doubt that Avram would give up something that he loves more than life itself? If that's what God asks, Avraham did it over and over again. He left his home. He left his family. He separated, parted with his firstborn son, who he loved, Yishmael. No one could doubt that he would have the strength and the courage to sacrifice his son if that's what God commanded. That's not even a trial. The test was to see if Avram could live with what seemed to be a clear contradiction between God's word now, offer Yitzchak as a sacrifice, and God's word on five previous occasions where God promised children and a future through Yitzchak. The two are contradictions. And that was the test. Could Avraham live with uncertainty? And Avraham passes that test with the Akedah, with the binding of Isaac. Avram teaches us that faith is not certainty. It is the courage to live with uncertainty. Avraham knew the promises would come true. He could live with the uncertainty of not knowing how or when. And ultimately, we read this narrative on Rosh Hashanah to guide us in how to live this year. We face uncertainty in so many areas of life. As individuals, each one of us in our own personal private lives, as a community, as part of humanity, And we are tired of it. We are anxious. When will it end? When will it get better? How will it get better? Will it get better? Avraham teaches us, yes, it will but maybe not immediately and certainly not directly. 
But living with uncertainty is a skill we must learn. Because living with uncertainty is how God prepares us to be the person, to be the people he wants, to rely on God, to look for God, to be patient in seeing God's plan unfold. God asks that of us as God asked that of Avraham. That's the lesson for us today of the Akeda. This is a great story I heard from Rabbi Melech Biederman. It takes place in Israel. There's a young Hasidic man and he needed to travel from Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, to Ashdod. Yerushalayim to Ashdod. Usually it takes about one hour on the bus. And this young man, he had to get there quickly. It was very important. So he was waiting at the bus stop for the intercity bus that would take him to Ashdod. It was during COVID. So the buses were only carrying half the capacity of passengers so people could sit separated from each other. One bus passed, didn't stop because it was already filled to capacity with passengers. Second bus comes, passes, it's full. Third bus comes, passes, it's full. Now he's in a hurry and he's stressed. So he takes a taxi, he takes a taxi to Tachana Merkazit. Tachana Merkazit is Jerusalem's central bus station. He figures if he's at the, if he's at the central bus station, that's where the buses start. So he'll get on the bus. He'll be first on the bus. For sure, he'll get on. He'll have room. Okay. So he gets to Tachana Merkazit. He's rushing. He's the first one online for the bus. He gets on the bus. The bus fills up. The bus pulls out. And he relaxes. Takes a deep breath. And as the bus is pulling out, he sees to his utter dismay and frustration that the bus next to his has a sign, Ashdod. He got on the wrong bus. Two buses were side by side. He is not going to Ashdod. He is on the bus to Rishon Lezion. Rishon Lezion is a different city. But he needs to get to Ashdod and he's in a hurry. And after all that rushing and worry, he's going to the wrong place. This young Hasidic man is beside himself with frustration and anxiety. So he starts making phone calls to try to figure out when he reaches Rishon Litzion, which stop can he get off to catch another bus going to Ashdod? And eventually he finds that the first stop that this bus is going to make in Rishon Litzion, there is a bus to Ashdod and it leaves one minute after he arrives. Okay. All right. He's late. But at least he has a plan. He'll get to Rishon Lezion, run to the other bus. He'll be on his way. As the bus nears this first stop in Rishon Lezion, he gets ready. He stands by the door, ready to run to the other bus. And just as he's getting off his bus, he sees the bus to Ashdod pulling out. He missed it by seconds. 
Ay, this man, he is so seriously stressed. He is so frustrated. He's late. Every step that he has taken has failed to bring him even closer to his destination. He is dejected. He is exhausted. It's hot out. And he's thirsty. So he walks across the street to get a soft drink, a soda. And he stands outside drinking a soda, trying to calm himself down and figure out what his next move is. He's standing there on the street, drinking his soda. And a man comes up to him, a secular Israeli Jewish man comes up to him. He is a Hasidic man. He's dressed like a Hasidic Jew in a long black coat and a black hat. And this secular Jew comes up to him and says, when is the yard site? So this Hasidic man has no idea what he's talking about. What do you mean? First of all, why are you asking me? And second of all, Who's your site? What your site? What, what, what are you talking about? So the man says, the bells are Rebbe. The bells are Rebbe. When is his yard site? Now, this chassid was not a chassid, a follower of the bells are Rebbe. He was a different chassidic group. But it just so happens that he knew, he knew it's tonight. So he says to this secular Israeli Jewish man, the yard site of the Belzarebi is tonight. But he can't, he can't understand. And so he says to this man, I just, excuse me, but just, you know, I mean, I am who I am. You are who you are. What do you want to know when the yard site of the Belzarebi is? So this man, this secular Israeli man, says to him, my father died two months ago. He was also secular, like me. He didn't give me or leave for me any Jewish connection. But a few hours before my father died, he opened his eyes and he said to me, Remember the yard site when I would go to shul one time a year it was the only time he went to the synagogue once a year and the son remembered yeah there was something strange once a year he would go to the shul he didn't know why he didn't know for what reason he didn't know when it was his father said I go to shul once a year for the yard site of the Belzarebi. I want you to continue to go to shul every year for the yard site of the Belzarebi. And then the man died. No explanation, seemingly no logic to it. But this secular man says to this chassid, I've been searching for weeks in this secular neighborhood where we are right here for someone who would know, who could tell me when is the yard site of the Belzer Rebbe so I can go to shul 
as I promised my father before he died. And finally today I see you, a chassid, and I figured that you could tell me. So thank you for telling me, and now I'm going to shul. And that's when this chassid realizes. Three buses passed me in Yerushalayim. I got on the wrong bus, and I missed the connection. And the entire time I was focused on the fact, the reality, that I needed to be in Ashdod as quickly as possible. But it turns out, God needed me to be at exactly that place in Rishon LeZion at exactly that moment to be able to direct this Jew to Shul for the Belzer Rebbe's Yorzai. Avraham was that chassid. He didn't understand why God commanded him to contradict God's own promise. But he understood that somehow that's what he needed to do. He understood that he needed to live with that uncertainty. And we are that chassid right now. We may think that we are lost. Trying to get to our destination where we know we are supposed to be. But here's the bottom line. God needs us elsewhere. God needs us precisely where we are are at this moment and God needs us to realize that means we may think we are lost but we are not and how we will get through this as individuals with whatever we are going through in our personal lives and as a part of humanity, we will get through this by recognizing that we are where God wants us to be, just as Avraham recognized. That's why we read the Akedah on Rosh Hashanah. And it is with this realization that we should approach our lives this year. And once we understand how to approach life, we must discover how to evaluate ourselves as we prepare for God evaluating us on Rosh Hashanah. Now, I shared this with some of you a while ago, but it is crucial to review right now. And this is a teaching of Reb Shalom Dovber Schneerson, the fifth Chabad Rebbe. He died in 1920, and he is known as the Rebbe Rashab. Rashab stands for Reb Shalom Dov. 
And the Rashab comments on a verse in the Torah, Pasuk in the Torah, famous verse, V'ha'ish Moshe Anav Ma'od, Moshe, Moses, was exceedingly humble, Mikol Ha'adam Asher Adama, more humble than every single person in the entire world. Mikol Ha'adam, every single person in Moshe's eyes was greater than he was. Moshe thought that he was less than us. Less than me? Moshe thought that he was less than Michael Whitman? I mean, Moshe thought that Michael Whitman is greater than than Moshe? I, I mean, that's just absurd. And didn't Moshe remember the Pusik that he himself wrote in the Torah at God's command? Lo kam navi od be Israel kamosha. There has never been and there will never be a prophet as great as Moshe. Moshe wrote down those words when God commanded him to write them in the Torah. Moshe didn't remember that? Moshe didn't remember or take to heart when God himself says in the Torah about Moshe, Pe el pe adabrebo, I speak to Moshe mouth to mouth, face to face, unlike any other way I communicate with any other human being in all of human history. How could Moshe possibly say, I'm lower, Moshe says, than all of you. You're all greater than me. I'm greater than him. I've shared one approach to this before, quoting Rabbi Norman Lamb of blessed memory. That approach is a true approach. It's an important approach, but we'll leave that for another time. Tonight, I want to share with you the Rebbe Rashab, Reb Shalom Dov Bershnirsen. Rashab quotes a medrash. Listen to what the words of the medrash. The medrash says that Moshe saw Sefer Shel Adam Harishon, the book of Adam, the first man. What's in that book? What's in that book is a, a listing of all of the events in the world starting with Adam and continuing until the Mashiach comes, the Messianic era. We're not yet there. Everything that happens in the world did happen, is happening, will happen, is written down in this book of Adam. Sefer shall Adam Arisha. COVID is in the book. The hurricane in New Orleans is in the book. Tension along the Gaza border, it's in the book. Everything is written in that book. Rashab writes, Moshe saw in that book our generation, us, our generation, a generation of great darkness, the Holocaust, anti-Semitism, assimilation. 
But we Jews continue to try to strengthen ourselves. We try to strengthen our faith. We're doing that at this very moment. That's what we're doing, you and I, right now. Trying to be inspired. Trying to get ready to greet God as a melech, as a sovereign, a king on Rosh Hashanah. Now, of course, our generation cannot compare in any way to the greatness of the Jewish people of Moshe's generation. And, of course, our generation certainly does not serve God properly, adequately, neither in belief nor in action. And all too often the mitzvahs that we do fulfill are by rote, without feeling or enthusiasm or even understanding. But nonetheless, at least sometimes our mitzvahs, our good deeds, are done with devotion and sacrifice and a sense of duty. And our low standing, our low spiritual standing is due to all the tragedies and the challenges we have faced in our lives and in our history. Nonetheless, we try. We try to serve God. We're trying. Rashab writes, Moshe saw what that book says about our generation, you and me. And Moshe felt the utmost humility and felt that this generation, you and me and all of us, our generation of Jews, Moshe felt is greater than him. That's what Moshe felt. Moshe saw how we have to face attacks on Israel and face the fears of anti-Semitism right now, right here. And still we're trying to serve God and to be proud Jews. Moshe saw how we sacrifice coming to shul and celebrating the holidays with our family and suffering loneliness and hardship in order to observe God's commandment of protecting our health during COVID. And Moshe saw what is happening in the lives of every single one of us. Moshe saw the challenges that I personally have faced over the last few weeks. Moshe saw the challenges, the difficulties that you are going through in your private life. And still we try. We, you and me, Again and again, we try to strengthen ourselves. We try to do the right thing. Yes, of course, we often fail. Of course, we usually fall short. But we try. We try to serve God. When it's so difficult, we're trying. And Moshe was humbled by us. And felt, Moshe felt, that we are greater than him. Now, obviously, this is Moshe's perspective. 
as he stands on a plane so much higher than us, we cannot even contemplate how great Moshe is, and we certainly can't understand Moshe's claim in this verse. But that was his perception expressed in these words of the Torah, Anav Mikal Ha'adam. But this is what we are able to accomplish in our lives. When we strengthen each other, when we inspire each other, Moshe looks up to us. We're not perfect. Sometimes we're not even good. But we're here. And we're trying. And with all that we are dealing with, Moshe is in awe of us. And we should be too. We should be too. We should be proud and in awe that we are simply here and trying. Finally, whatever we have been through this year, hopefully there has been for you blessings and joy and growth. Certainly there has been for me, but also challenge and worry and darkness. Whatever we've gone through, Wherever we find ourselves spiritually tonight, as the year 5781 comes to a close and 5782 is about to begin, let's remember who we will seek in the coming days. The Chavitz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan of Radin, the great Torah leader of the early 1900s, tells the story of a person who is about to have a serious medical operation. And he is afraid. He's worried. He enters the operating room. He's rolled in on a stretcher. And he sees the head surgeon is his father. And immediately he relaxes because he knows his father will do the best for him. It's not a guarantee of success, but he is calm. He is relaxed. He knows he is in the best possible hands. There's a famous verse in Tehillim in Psalms. Shuvi nafshi limnu Be calm, my soul. Ki Hashem gamal alaychi. Because God is helping you. You can be calm because it is your and my great Father who is in charge. And He will do what is best for you. 
the famous prayer that we will start to say on Rosh Hashanah, Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. Yes, God is a melech, a king, a sovereign who commands and holds accountable. Yes. But first, Avinu, God is our Father, God is our loving parent. Be calm. Be relaxed. God is helping us. My friends, I want to wish for you, as I wish for me, Shana Tova, a new year of good health, of being able to be together with our families and our friends, of spiritual growth, and of recognition of the strengths we are gaining as a result of everything we go through. Thank you so much for joining tonight.